0: You found the Diggin' Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please consider helping out the show by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Oak Island to learn more. begin uh to the patrons of the show the folks that keep me going here and keep this podcast free for everybody i just want to thank you so much for sticking with me over this um over another off season, right? And as we begin a new season of The Curse of Oak Island, don't forget, if you're a patron, you can log on to the Patreon um, during the U.S. broadcasts Tuesday nights from 9 p.m. Eastern for kind of a live discussion back and forth with myself and all these other big fans of the show. Uh, it really is a fun time. If you're not a patron and you want to join in on the fun, it only takes five bucks a month. So if you think uh, the show is worth five bucks a month to you, patreon.com slash Diggin Oak Island is all it takes to get access to that live discussion and to uh, help me keep this podcast going for as long as possible, right? As long as it takes, maybe even until we find the treasure. (laughs) And again, to all you patrons out there who have kept me going here, thank you so, so much. It is uh, really great to have you as part of the uh, Diggin Oak Island family here. Uh, also, before we get started, I, I would like to hear what you guys want to see or what you hope to see or what you think, your predictions, your wish lists, and stuff for the upcoming season 10. Um, you know, it's coming only in a couple of weeks here. And, uh, you know, we'd like to do a little preview show. So send them in to diganok island at gmail.com. If we get enough, we'll do like an entire podcast just dedicated to the thoughts of you guys, the listeners and fans of. Uh, of the Curse of Oak Island. Um, again, we have only have a couple of weeks, so get them in ASAP if you can. Okay. For today's show, we have something a little different than we've done recently, something we haven't done in quite a while, but we have done a few times before. And I think you real Oak Island fans are going to enjoy this one. Uh, over the life of this podcast, we have been examining sort of the different points in the timeline as we've discussed the chronological history of the Oak Island treasure hunt. That's been quite a while since we did one of these podcasts, so I thought we would get one in here today before the new television season begins. When we actually last discussed the Oak Island timeline, which you can go back into the archives of the show to see those, um, the last place we were was 1893. It was the end of a long, sort of relatively quiet period between 1864 and 1893. And if those years were quiet, and they indeed were, that would all change with the arrival of a man named Frederick Blair. Now, if you were to debate whose images should be on the Mount Rushmore of Oak Island treasure hunters, Frederick Blair's would no doubt have to be in that conversation. He was from Amherst, Nova Scotia, which, if I'm not mistaken, is right up north along the border of Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. Uh, Like many in Nova Scotian, Blair knew all about the Oak Island mystery, probably heard about it since he was little. And I suppose the obsession with that treasure hunt uh, that Blair would come to have for his entire life was somewhat inevitable, considering his uncle Isaac Blair had actually taken part in the treasure hunt, in the dig back in the 1860s. This would not be the last example of the Oak Island treasure fever being passed down from one generation to a younger generation of treasure hunter. It's happening right now, right? I mean, (laughs) one could only imagine the stories old Uncle Isaac must have told his little nephew Fred, uh, especially about how close they all were to striking it rich, you know, intoxicating stuff for sure. So in 1893, while working in Boston as a salesman, if I remember correctly, Blair began to formulate plans to reignite the Oak Island Treasure Hunt and began forming what would become known as the Oak Island Treasure Company. Uh, But before he did all that, he began sort of cementing his legend as perhaps the greatest ever researcher of Oak Island treasure hunt, certainly up to that period, and he did so for the rest of his life. He read everything he could and interviewed anyone he could find to help him learn everything there was to know about who did what, when and where while digging for treasure on Oak Island. He talked to people who had tried and failed decades earlier And he went out of his way to speak to anyone who had spent time with the original discoverers of the money pit. And as a result, became as versed as he could on those three gentlemen and their experiences on the island. Just about anyone else who had experiences on the island. Basically, Blair was not going into this without first knowing everything he could about what everyone else had tried to do already. What successes they had and more importantly, what failures they endured. It was Blair's research that has stood for over a century, really, as the backbone for almost everything we know today about the first century of the Oak Island treasure hunt. But weirdly, despite all of this intense preparation, the Oak Island Treasure Company would still make some mistakes that would seem, you know, at least in hindsight, to be very surprising out of someone so well-versed in the history of the treasure hunt. Blair would also help to raise thousands and thousands of dollars to finance the dig by selling shares in the Oak Island Treasure Company to people mostly in Boston and Nova Scotia, probably people he knew of, right? And this was to aid in the fundraising uh, to to get the company going. So in order to do this, Blair asked Adams Tupper, he was a veteran of both the Truro Company and the Oak Island Association, to help him write the company's prospectus. It's basically a written sales pitch, right, to any potential investors. Now these type of documents are usually very positively and confidently written, and this one is no exception, but they are also great insights into the treasure hunter's frame of mind, especially before digging. Just listen to how this thing begins. It says, much fiction has been written concerning great sums of money and vast quantities of jewels buried by pirates some 200 years ago, somewhere along the Atlantic coast. Our story has to do only with fact, as stated by the men now living and who had in them, or as told to them by men now dead, it can be proven, and then he lists things he says can be proven. One, that a shaft about 13 feet in diameter, 100 feet deep, was sunk in Oak Island in Mahome Bay, Nova Scotia, before the memory of anyone now living. That this shaft was connected by an underground tunnel with the open ocean about 365 feet distant. That at the bottom of this shaft were placed large wooden boxes in which were precious metals and jewels. That many attempts have been made without success to obtain this treasure. That it is reasonably certain the treasure is large because so great a trouble would never have been taken to conceal any small sum. And finally, he writes that it is now entirely feasible to thoroughly explore this shaft and recover the treasure still located therein. Now, they list six things there that they can say can be proven, to use their words, only half of which even have sort of the slightest bit of truth in them if you go back and read them again. But again, remember what Tupper and Blair are trying to accomplish here with this document. They want investors to be certain that they will make lots of profit off their investment. But also, this is how nearly all treasure hunters really think, right? All of them, I mean, they are certain that they and only they know how to find this treasure and that everyone who tried before them either didn't have the talent, the resources or the right information, something right that they they have, you know, it's something that that they would have needed. But now only the new treasure hunters themselves actually possess. It really is part of the psychological makeup of treasure hunters. It's a fascinating subject all on its own, but let's not get into that today. Most Oak Island historians also agree the company prospectus stands as one of the best historical documents ever written about the first century of the Oak Island treasure hunt. It's incredibly detailed, leans on many first-hand accounts Blair collected while researching. But even so, it does seem to lean often on the many legends surrounding Oak Island rather than simple historical fact. For instance, right off the bat, they write, quote, about the close of the last century, this part of the country was sparsely populated and the island in question was without an inhabitant, end quote. Now, if Blair really did the research as exhaustively as he says he did, I find it hard to believe that he would have thought that the island was not uninhabited. You know, I I find it hard to believe that he would have thought the island was uninhabited. Let's put it that way. So why did he write it that way? Well, I don't have the answers for that, but it is important to keep in mind at this stage of the hunt, Blair and Tupper and everyone else was certain that they say right in the beginning, right? Was certain that what they were looking for was pirate treasure, not anything involving Francis Bacon or the Knights Templar or anything like that. That's going to come as a result of the things they do. These ideas, though, would not become popular among Oak Island enthusiasts for decades. Again, as a result of what we're going to hear about in this podcast, mostly. So they were still working on pirate treasure. So maintaining a little bit of that legendary quality to it, right, that spookiness was probably a good thing for what they were trying to accomplish, which was convincing rich folks to invest money in a hunt for a lost pirate treasure in a hundred foot deep hole. That being said, the prospectus is a great read, really tells the story of the first century of the treasure hunt in fairly good detail. And, and just to kind of wrap it up, this prospectus part of it, uh, it ends by saying, quote, Firmly believing this treasure can be recovered, a company has been organized with $60,000 in capital and shares of $5 each of which $30,000 has been used in primarily work by the promoters and for a three years lease of that part of the island on which it is expected to make explorations and the absolute right to all that may be recovered by such exploration." The remaining stock, $30,000, has been set aside as a fund from which to raise funds for continuing the work and will be sold from time to time, but no more will be sold than is needed to complete the work. And what remains unsold will be divided pro rata among all stockholders. So they accomplished this task. Their funding was secured. They had a lease that they agreed upon and they had a team in place, which included lots of different people, including a physician and, of course, a drilling expert we're going to come to hear about. So with all that in mind, Blair and the Oak Island Treasure Company headed to Mahome Bay to find some pirate gold. The first project the Oak Island Treasure Company wanted to tackle was attempting to cut off the floodwaters leading from Smith's Cove to the money pit. The one thing that had stopped every treasure hunter before them from getting down to what they thought was a treasure chest waiting at the bottom of the pit. I think specifically barrels full of treasure, if I'm not mistaken. Blair was convinced the key to accomplishing this task was in the cave-in pit. Now, for those who might not remember, here's a little short story of what that is, the cave-in pit. After the last treasure hunting group had left the island in the 1860s, it was the Halifax Company, after they admitted defeat and left the island, Anthony Graves, who was then the landowner of the Money Pit area, and his family settled down to a quieter life on Oak Island and used the land on the east side of the island for farming, pretty much bringing it back to what it was like before 1795, which was not not (laughs) uninhabited, right? Among his family members living on the island with him during this period was his daughter Sophia and her husband, Henry Sellers. One day in 1875, Sophia was working on the farm, plowing with a team of oxen. As she steered her plow across the land between the money pit and Smith's Cove, the ground suddenly opened up under them and swallowed up Sophia and her oxen as they fell down into this 10-foot deep hole. This new pit would come to be known as the cave pit, and yes, Mrs. Sellers and her oxen were apparently all recovered safely from the hole, although a Doubtless, I would imagine, pretty shaken up. Now, here is what the Oak Island Company's prospectus, the Oak Island Treasure Company's prospectus says about this event, which is a little weird. About 16 years ago, the present owner of the island was plowing with her oxen near these pits and went about 80 feet from the pit over the tunnel toward the money pit. Both of his oxen suddenly went down into the hole some six or eight feet in diameter and 10 or 15 feet deep. It is supposed that this washout had something to do with the tunnel itself, as it was apparently directly over it. But no further investigations of the cause of the collapse of the Earth's surface have ever been made. Okay, just to clarify a little bit, what he means by the tunnel when he said it was directly over the tunnel, he's referring to the possible, what we call now the box drains, the flood tunnels, the booby trap system. Uh, which Blair was certain, along with other people, ran directly through this area of the cave-in pit. So he was sure that this cave-in pit was the key to finally getting to these tunnels and stopping the flow of seawater into the money pit. If they could do that, then they could pump all the water out of the pit and retrieve the treasure. Now, this might not be all that important, but strangely, the prospectus there does say, quote, both of his oxen suddenly went down the hole. Let's find it weird that Blair and Tupper, who supposedly knew Graves and Sellers, personally got this wrong and also left out the fact that it wasn't just the oxen that fell in the hole, but also Sophia Sellers herself. But that just me might be me being a little pedantic here. I'm not going to be picky. Anyway, let's continue. Blair's theory about the booby trap flood system was that it would be virtually impossible to dig a tunnel hundreds of feet deep and hundreds of feet long directly from the ocean to the money pit. Without having to sink a shaft or two along the path of this tunnel, to you know help remove the dirt or act as an air shaft, right, for the people doing this digging, and he because it would have to be done with shovels if it was during the time we were we we're talking about here, right? And he was probably right about this. So the conclusion Blair drew, or at least he, what he was hoping for, was that this was what would explain the cave in pit, the existence of the cave in pit. Also, Blair was seemingly convinced that something had to be built, a valve or something somewhere that could be used to shut off the flooding in order for the original depositors to retrieve the treasure. So again, he thought that this could be what the cave and pit really was, or at least offer some clues. And I guess he thought it was not just a natural sinkhole. He thought one of these things were built here, a valve or an air shaft, and that they collapsed in on themselves due to, you know, years and years of flooding. Uh, and that collapse caused the cave in pit. So what was, so the job one for the Oak Island Treasure Company really was to get out to the cave in pit and excavate it and then hopefully find a way to turn off the flooding somehow, some way. They began digging out the pit down to a depth of about 55 feet or so when seawater started rapidly flowing in. By the next day, the pit was filled with 40 feet of ocean water, which raised and lowered with the tides, bringing the work to a complete halt. To put it mildly, the first project of the Oak Island Treasure Company was nothing short of a complete disaster. Now, according to Blair and his men, the cave-in pit had showed signs of being hand-dug. And to Blair's knowledge, no searcher had ever worked in this area at all. He was convinced the cave and pit was man-made and not just a natural sinkhole. But there's honestly, really, we're just going on his word here. There's no way to verify any of that. And Blair was not exactly an expert on geology. You know, that was not his field. Um. Were they really just trying to cover up their failures to investors by making it sound like all of this was actually worth the money spent to do all this digging? You know what I mean? Like they've, they failed miserably at this. They didn't accomplish anything. But at least we've got some information that we're on to something here. That could be. It's impossible to know for sure. Blair and his partners decided they would try cutting off the flooding another way, (laughs) like so many before them. So in the latter part of 1894, they began digging a new shaft 30 feet or so from the money pit along the supposed path of the flood tunnels. They got only as far down as about 43 feet when, again, the shaft filled with seawater and had to be abandoned. This would be the Oak Island Treasure Company's second big failure in as many tries. And it wouldn't be their last, because after the winter passed, Blair decided in 1895 to try and reopen the money pit and they, you know, essentially go straight at the treasure. But they only made it down to about 55 feet before the flooding again broke brought their work to a halt. Things were not going well for the Oak Island Treasure Company, to say the least. One could only imagine what shareholders were thinking. And what they were saying to each other after these three different projects all ended in complete failure. So Blair and the company's leadership kind of shook things up a bit, raised a little bit more money, and came back to the island in the spring of 1897, I guess, with plenty of pumps to clear the flooding try their luck again at the money pit. Now, it was during this time, as they were doing this project, that Maynard Kaiser was uh, killed while working. If memory serves, he was being hoisted out of the money pit using like a pulley system, and the rope broke on him. He fell down. Uh, Kaiser's death would bring a pretty significant pause in the work, as many of the men doing the work um, during his death refused to continue working, afraid that you know maybe some supernatural pirate curse might have actually caused Kaiser's death. Um, So, just as you can see, the legend of Oak Island is not the curse of Oak Island, I should say, is not entirely a new thing, but back then there was no mention at all, of seven having to die in order for the treasure to be found. That's, that's a recent invention, for sure. Anyway, soon the men got back to work and continued digging down until they found an intersecting tunnel. They explored this tunnel, only to find another shaft at the other end of it. Now, this had to have been a crushing blow for Frederick Blair, who wrote, quote, "...it proved to be the real money pit." The pit we had worked in all winter proved to be the old Tupper pit. <laughs> the Tupper pit being a searcher shaft from decades earlier. They had opened and dug out the wrong shaft. They had spent months and thousands of dollars digging in the wrong shaft. Like I mentioned earlier, Blair would make mistakes that seemed very surprising coming from someone who was so well-versed in the history of the hunt And none more so than this mistake right here. Now, to their defense, remember, the money pit had not been opened or worked on for decades before the Oak Island Treasure Company began their dig. The shafts had been filled in, at least to some degree. But still, Blair supposedly interviewed and solicited the assistance of more than one person who'd actually been treasure hunting on the island decades earlier inside the money pit themselves, right? Uh, With all of this research and preparation, it just is so surprising to me that they would get this so spectacularly wrong. Again, this was a costly mistake. And the Oak Island Treasure Company was already having problems with their investor confidence even before this. But the good news is they now knew where they were and where the money pit was. So by the summer of 1897, they began digging into the money pit and made it down to 111 feet when they discovered another intersecting tunnel. This one measured like two and a half feet by four and a half feet and was filled with stones and gravel. However, uh, I mean, those dimensions really couldn't be verified because the water started rushing in through this tunnel and it soon filled up the money pit, brought their work to a halt again. Again, another project for the Oak Island Treasure Company pretty much here ended in disaster, but they weren't done, right? At least this time, They could hang their hats on the fact that they had the right money pit and maybe even found tunnels leading into the shaft that were part of the flood tunnel, the flooding uh, booby trap system. Now, it's a hollow victory, but it is something and something a little bit better than some of the stuff before. So, as I mentioned, the failures of the Oak Island Treasure Company were making it hard for them to continue to raise funds. But that wasn't the only thing holding them back. Apparently, there was also quite a lot of ambiguity in the laws surrounding recovered treasure in Canada, specifically around how much the government would get out of anything they found. So, no one could really answer this question. You can imagine how potential investors might be wary of investing in a company whose success might only benefit the government in the long term, right? But in 1897, Blair and his team finally got a clear ruling from the Nova Scotia government saying that the province would be entitled to no more than 2% of the value of any treasure found. It was a big ruling, and it was a ruling that would have ripple effects for the next few centuries right, on treasure hunting in Oak Island. It was also great news for the Oak Island Treasure Company, who were now able to sell more shares in the company and continue their day. From the very beginning of his planning, um, Blair was certain he could find the answers to shutting off the flood system. That was one of his, if not the primary objectives he looked, to, um, he looked to kind of focus on as his dig began. Now, he had already failed doing this, the cave and pit, and also failed at digging an adjacent shaft. So now he was turning his gaze towards Smith's Cove, which was understood to be the source of the flooding. The plan was quite the violent one, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, as the team decided to try and cut off water to the money pit by blowing the whole darn thing to smithereens. They drilled five holes 15 feet apart and just 50 feet from the beach, filled them with dynamite and lit the fuse. Water and dirt exploded 100 feet into the air. And interestingly, the water in the money pit also reportedly boiled up and gurgled as well. The team was satisfied that whatever tunnels might be down there now were good and destroyed. But when they started the pumps back up in the money pit, uh, it didn't really drain. (laughs) They quickly realized the pumps could not keep up with the water coming in and that therefore this whole dynamite project hadn't worked. Another failure. So now what? They couldn't keep digging and excavating because the water prevented that from happening. So they decided to do some exploratory drilling down into the money pit to try and search for the quote unquote large wooden boxes in which were precious metals and jewels that the company's prospectus claimed to be fact. So with the pumps running around the clock, they managed to hold the water down to about 100 feet, uh, which allowed them to set up a drilling platform at about 90 feet and then start drilling down into the dirt and mud. Now, keep in mind, this is after the famous collapse of the Money Pit. So the depths at which the um, things were found previously by searchers really no longer applied for these guys. They could have no idea just how far down into the earth this collapse might have pushed anything down there. And now they also had the disadvantage of having to drill through all of that stuff. Um, you know, all that stuff that was in the money, but all that cribbing and everything used by previous searchers, which is now, like by this point, likely piled up and broken into a mess of junk down there. Now, with this exploratory drilling project, we are introduced to another man whose name would be remembered down through the ages and the following decades of the Oak Island treasure hunt, a drilling expert by the name of William Chapel. Chapel directed his men to start using a two and a half inch drill to go down into the money pit, down to a depth of over 170 feet, drilling through blue clay and disturbed ground, among other things. In one of the first holes they drilled, they hit wood at 126 feet, then in a layer of iron. And after being able to finally make their way around this iron, they got down to past 150 feet where they hit what they determined to be some sort of cement. Then directly underneath the cement, they drilled past through five inches of wood, After drilling through the wood, they came across something they would eventually come to theorize as metal in small bits. That's important to keep in mind that they weren't seeing small metal pieces with their eyes. They're only theorizing what they were uh, feeling here. You know, they were theorizing that that's what this was from how the drill felt up at the top, right up at the platform. It is kind of a guess, albeit something of an educated one. Although I don't know how many drilling experts back then ever drilled through coins, but be that as it may, it's also important to remember that back in 1849, the Truro Company claimed to have come across just this exact same kind of thing while they were drilling down into the money pit. Interestingly, if what they were drilling through here was indeed the same thing that the Truro Company found, that would mean the collapse of the money pit caused whatever this was to fall like a good full 50 feet down into the earth. And also, if you haven't figured it out yet, what the Oak Island treasure company was drilling through here would soon come to be known as the chapel vault. Now as chapel and his men are pulling the drills up, the drill up out of the hole, they're saving whatever was stuck at the end of the auger, whatever the 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 drill bit came up with include, and that would include things like little shavings of iron bits of wood, lots of dirt, again, samples of stuff that they thought was cement, but there was also something else found that would send shockwaves waves around the Oak Island treasure hunting community for decades to come and might be one of the most important things ever found. In September of 1897, one of the workers, a man named T. Purley Putnam, a fantastic name, took these auger samples to a doctor in Amherst, Nova Scotia named Andrew Porter to presumably examine them under a microscope. In among the wood and cement, Porter pulled out a balled up piece of some fibrous material, He laid the material out flat and realized what he actually had was a small piece of very old parchment with the letters VI written on it. Later, this parchment was examined by other experts who agreed it was a very old piece of sheepskin parchment with the writing done in India ink. It was an incredible find, to say the least, and one no one was expecting. Now, let's just pull the lens back a little bit. The parchment has had one really enduring legacy over the uh, last 125 years of the treasure hunt, right? And that is, it became the first springboard for a whole torrent of new theories of what Oak Island's mystery might actually be all about. Before this, uh, before the finding of the parchment, this was always considered a hunt for pirate treasure, Captain Kidd's treasure, usually. But this little nickel-sized piece of old parchment would forever change that assumption. Suddenly, every possibility seemed to be on the table, right? Not just pirate gold, but religious artifacts, secret documents, and, and everything in between. Of all the things pulled out of the money pit, this little bit of old paper might actually be the most important, the most consequential in the history of the treasure hunt. All right. So let's just back up a bit so you have a mental picture of all this and review exactly for you what the chapel vault was and what chapel found and where he found it so you have a, a better idea when you hear about this vault of what they're talking about. The team put up a drill, went into the money pit. At About 110 feet, they find puddled clay, the theory being that it is hand-worked clay that was used as a sealant. At 122 feet down, they found a layer of wood and then four feet further, some iron then nothing interesting all the way down to 154 feet. So keeping in mind the collapse of the money pit, it certainly has always seemed to me, you can come up with your own theories, but it certainly seemed to me that everything found above the 130-foot level or so was likely just collapsed searcher material. Again, that's just a theory on my part. Now, as they continue drilling down to 154 feet, things get interesting. First, they hit material, that they had independently tested and appeared to be some sort of cement. Then they drilled through more wood after the cement for a few inches. After which, was where the parchment piece was found. Just a little bit further down from there came they came across an obstruction. They theorized to be small metal pieces. A few f- a few more feet. Finally, down at 158 feet, they find what they think is some kind of soft metal. I mean, they're 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 confidently and hope, very hopeful when they say, you know, metal, precious bars of precious metal, but there was nothing to prove that. And then past that, another layer of cement down to 161 feet. Then we have like the the drill hitting nothing for another 10 feet, nothing of any consequence uh, until it stopped at something down at 171 feet that Chapel and Blair would come to call an iron plate. They couldn't drill through that iron plate, so everything stopped. So you could see where that chapel vault is, you know, cement at the top, cement at the bottom, wood there as well, and then stuff in between. That's what the basis of all the graphics you see on the show about the trap, the chapel vault is based on, is that that account. Now, another direct result of this drilling program, and especially the finding of the parchment as you probably could have guessed, was that funding was no longer an issue for Blair and his team. In fact, the existing shareholders were so excited by the potential of finding a treasure vault that they put up the money needed to continue digging just themselves, and shares were no longer sold to new investors. So with this new flush of cash, and what I would imagine was an overabundance of exuberance and confidence, Blair and his men dug two new shafts off the money pit with the intent of tunneling from these new shafts horizontally towards this vault, hopefully bypassing the flooding. But predictably, both of them would end just like every other such attempt. Both shafts eventually flooded and work abandoned. Understandably, Blair's next move was again to try and plug up the flooding. Now remember, he had already tried new shafts and lots of dynamite, all to no avail, So, this time he wanted to perhaps find the exact location or locations in Smith's Cove where the water was coming from. They dropped red dye into the money pit and pumped water down into the shaft so it would eventually make its way back out into the ocean. The problem is, when the dye did start to show itself, it was indeed coming up in Smith's Cove, but also in several places along the south shore of the island. And these were spots that were all beyond the low tide mark, making it almost impossible, certainly at the time, to go out there and do anything about it. And nearly a century later, Dan Blankenship would confirm all this with similar work he did. In 1899, the Oak Island Treasure Company would make four new attempts at tunneling towards the supposed vault, four new shafts, all ended in failure due to uncontrollable flooding. Now, If I remember correctly, it was at this point where Blair had realized that uh, since this flooding was not just coming from Smith's Cove, that they didn't know exactly where the source was, but also that not only was the flooding virtually impossible for them to stop it was also now literally everywhere down there. All of these shafts and tunnels had almost certainly been created or had almost certainly um, been just now an endless maze of flooding and therefore kind of unstable chambers. So like all the treasure hunters before them, soon (laughs) the Oak Island Treasure Company's funding would run out and the company declared defunct. But Frederick Blair was far from finished with his Oak Island obsession. How could he be? He found what was he was convinced was a vault. So Blair maintained his lease on the money pit, and also his government-issued treasure-hunting license and would spend the next half a century, the remainder of his life, searching for the Oak Island treasure. But again, my friends, that is a story for another day. That's going to do it for this episode of the Diggin' Oak Island podcast. Shameless plug time. Don't forget, every Wednesday afternoon, 2 to 5 p.m., I'm DJing on WDVR-FM. Uh, you'll find me from 2 to 4 hosting a show called the Bourbon Street Bistro, playing you the music of New Orleans, and then another show from 4 to 5 p.m. called Island Vibes. You can listen by going to WDVR-FM. If you're in the eastern, New, or eastern Pennsylvania, western New Jersey area, you can tune to 89.7 or... 90.5 FM, or you can simply tell Alexa to turn on WDVR. WV- Don't forget, you can really help out the show by becoming a patron. If you think this show is worth $5 a month to you, then head over to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. Thanks to everybody who's been a patron. Also, if you would like to help out the podcast in another way, then you could do so by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. Um, We need to get a few more of those in. Haven't had one in a while, so please leave us a rating. Big thanks to everyone who's left us a five-star rating already. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for taking time to do that and for the kind words. Uh, If you want to follow the show, you can do so on Facebook and Twitter. We are at Digging Oak Island. And if you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me, You could do so via email at diggingoakisland at gmail.com. Just keep in mind, if you send me an email or a direct message, uh, I may just answer it here in a podcast, which is what I would like to do and would normally do. So if you don't want your message read to everybody listening, just please make a note of that for me. I'll do my best to get back to you. We're almost there, folks. It's almost time for season 10. There's lots of stuff to come. So, uh... (laughs) keep checking your tv guides boy that makes me sound old right keep checking your tv guides and keep keep uh, subscribe to this podcast as we start to uh to watch another season of hunting for treasure on oak island well guys as dave blankenship used to say it's crown time so until we speak again i'm dave mcbride thank you for listening to the digging oak island podcast